Welcome back to Behind the Lens, the final Behind the Lens for 2020. That's just 2020. Remember that. We'll be back on January 11th for our seventh year. Yes, Pam's in. Pam, my wonderful sound engineer, Pam, is in, is in the booth making faces. Oh, my God. She didn't realize it's been seven years. Seven years will kick off on January 11th. But for right now, we're going to send 2020 out with a fun, fun bang today. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens, below the line, and we talk to the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, uh, the writers, the directors, the producers, the costumers, the production designers, the composers, the film editors, the sound editors, sound mixers, and of course, our acting talent, and everybody, anybody else that we forgot. We talk to them all. Uh, very excited about today's show. Our regular listeners, you've heard me teasing it for a few weeks. We've got an exclusive pre-recorded interview with Robert Rodriguez talking about his latest film, uh, which is We Can Be Heroes. It's out on Christmas Day on Netflix, and it is without a doubt the best family film of the year. I, and it, is made my top 10 list uh, of the year. So I'm very excited for you to hear that. You're also going to hear my exclusive interview with two of the film's stars, Yaya Goslin and Vivian Lyra Blair. Now, Vivian, you'll all probably recognize from Bird Box with Sandra Bullock. And Yaya, she is currently on, she was in Peppermint. She played Sandra... Um, Garner. Jennifer Garner. Thank you, Pam. <laughs> My mind went blank. Jennifer Garner's daughter in Peppermint. And you can see her now on FBI Most Wanted, along with the fabulous Kellen Lutz. Uh, but you're going to hear about, you're going to hear Yaya and Vivian together talking about their roles as Missy and Guppy in We Can Be Heroes. And the fun of working with Robert Rodriguez. And Rodriguez, of course, writer, director, editor, cinematographer. Um, it's a family affair with a Rodriguez film, and you know him best for Spy Kid, the Spy Kids franchise, so many uh, Machete franchise, and of course, We Can Be Heroes is a quote-unquote sequel to what started it really started it all for our love affair with Robert Rodriguez, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. And yes, Shark Boy and Lava Girl are back in We Can Be Heroes. Uh, because this go-round, you know, they're, they're getting a little, little long in the tooth now. But alien invaders have kidnapped uh, the Earth superheroes. And now it is up to their kids, who all have their own superpowers, to save them uh, when things get dire and twists and turns abound. Uh, it's just so much fun from beginning to end. It's a great, great, great film for the whole family. But after you hear our exclusives with Robert and Missy and, and <clears throat> Robert, Yaya, and Vivian, 
You are going. We have the wonderful Michael Stasco is going to be joining us to talk about his new latest film, uh, Boys vs. Girls. It's light. It's fun. It's about summer camp in 1990. And yep, it's Boys vs. the Girls. And I'm not sure, but co-producer of the film, uh, Eric Schiller, may be joining Mike on that call as well at the midpoint of the show. And we'll also probably talk a little bit about their other film that you can also see right now called The Control. It's an indie sci-fi film. Uh, Extremes, total extremes uh, that Mike gives us. And both are interesting in their own rights, but Boys vs. Girls is just fun. So, uh, as you know, we are in the midst of awards season if you are, by any chance, watching the show right now on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook live stream, it's never that exciting. It's just me sitting in the booth talking. Um, but my table scapes. And this one is chock full of potential award contenders. And if you're watching on the live stream feed, right up front, you're going to see The Midnight Sky, George Clooney's new film. It is phenomenal. It is masterful. Uh, Clooney directs, he stars, but I got to tell you, the big, big award-worthy aspect of that film, going beyond George's meticulous performance and direction, is cinematographer Martin Rue. This is a really tough year in terms of contention for cinematographers. We've got Fedon, Papa Michael, four. Trial of Chicago 7. We've got Martin Rue for The Midnight Sky and several other great, great cinematog- uh, cinematographic efforts this year. Um, it's, it's a tough, tough call um, for the awards. And who would think that we would have tight races as we're coming down to the end of 2020 and then for the first month or so, that the Academy is allowing for awards consideration for films because of COVID and delays of releasing and everything uh, predominantly just going uh, to home video and digital. So, But we have seen some remarkable films. The The Five Bloods is great. One Night in Miami, I can't recommend it highly enough. Regina King, who who we first met decades ago on 227, uh, has I will not be surprised to see her name bandied about uh, with and possibly an Oscar nomination, if not an Oscar win. Uh, it is that good. Production design excels. The cast is exemplary. Uh, and I just love that film. Uh, but let's not waste any more time today talking about today's Behind the Lens. Um, oh, and by the way, let's just say Greenland. Anyone that knows me, I've been, I've been championing for an extinction level event all year during COVID. Thank you, Rick Roman Waugh. I now have my extinction level event, at least on film with Greenland, Gerard Butler. Um, if you haven't seen it, see it. It is an incredible film. And of course, his collaboration of Rick and Jerry is phenomenal. And what also opened in theaters, not in Los Angeles, because we don't have any theaters open, but around the country, and it will be hitting, I believe, on January 9th on uh, VOD and digital, uh, 
Dion Taylor's Fatal. Wow. Wow. If you saw la- The Intruder last year with Michael Ely and what he went through uh, on that film for Dion, <laughs> Michael may never work for Dion again after Fatal. He gets put through the ringer. Hillary Swank also stars. It will have you on the edge of your seat, biting your nails, twists and turns, uh, and some real psychotic behavior in addition to some killer action. So two big picks for me that just opened this weekend. And on Christmas Day, of course, you're going to have Midnight Sky. You're going to have We Can Be Heroes. But right now, let's take a listen to Robert Rodriguez talking about the fabulous We Can Be Heroes. Hi, Robert. Hey. I am so excited to talk to you. It's been a long time since Sin City 2 that we've gotten to chat. Wow, eight years. But I got to tell you, it was to talk to you about We Can Be Heroes, it was well worth the wait. You have outdone yourself with this film. Oh, thank you so much. This, I love it. this is, without a doubt, the best family film of the year. It's for all age groups. There's something for everyone. It is so fun to look at. You've got your eye-popping, colorful, high-polished visuals that you first showed us back with Spy Kids, and you've just gotten better and better and improved on that. You've got action. You've got event, adventure. You've got fun, fun, fun. And through, and then, uh, as if this isn't enough, you give us incredible themes in this film. You really push this story to the next level, Robert, so that kids are going to learn th- something in here. Physics, friendship, uh, the importance of physical education, education, stimulating your mind, listening to your elders, and parents are going to learn something. This is the whole package. Wow, thank you. I appreciate that so much. I, 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 where, how did you even put this one together? Well, those things you mentioned, that's what you set out to do, but that you say that just makes me, warms my heart because that's exactly what we're trying to do, but, you know, you could only try, right? But um, I'm glad it came, I mean, it was the most fun I've ever had making a movie. I was super excited when Netflix came up with to me and said um we love your spy kids and shark boy type movies they do so well in our service we'd love you to make us a live action kids family film like in that mold because it's so unique nobody does those and it does really well for us i was like wow really i love making those movies it was just that parents knew that the kids were just going to watch it a bunch of times at home later once it got on dvd so maybe they'd go see it they'd take them once or twice to the theater depending on how many times the kids picked but then really they, they really had a life at home but no one could keep track of how much they watched them so no one really knew how successful they really were so it didn't make a lot of business sense later to have parents not take their kids to see it enough times to warrant a theatrical release. So uh, the idea of doing it for Netflix really excited me because I knew the audience could just watch it over and over again. They didn't have to be driven to the theater. Families could then see their kids watching it and enjoying in. It just felt like a like a home run way to, to distribute these kind of movies. Well, so it got me excited. And I actually came up with the idea for with the title in the room while Scott Stuber at Netflix was telling me he wanted a family film. <laughs> I came up with it right then. That's how ready I was 
us to come back and do one of these and excited at the possibilities of using this as a way to teach a mythology and a, and a morality and value lessons to children and uh, using the backdrop of the genre of superheroes to show that they are the next generation. This was very relevant two years ago when I wrote it, even more so now. Mm-hmm. It feels like a flashpoint situation. We've obviously screwed the world up and we need them to step in and, and parenting has to be more about partnering with their children than, than me telling you because they children have amazing ideas and they and they just need mentorship to really uh, become the ones that are going to take over sooner than later and, and save the world. So I just thought the message was very on point and the way to do it is in a, the most entertaining way possible to, to you get are kids muted. to really want to model themselves and six. that's why I chose to not have the lead girl be uh, have any special powers so that it wasn't like, oh, I need special powers to change the world. No, she doesn't have any and she's able to make the most impact. So that was uh, an important lesson to, to impart. Just so across the board, you just, you just know children are going to take this into their hearts and you want to just feed their minds and their souls. And I'm from a family of 10 kids. That's how I grew up. And, and then I have five kids of my own. So um, what's different now than even when I did Spy Kids is my children were very young. So a lot of these parenting ideas I had were still, you know, I was still experimenting with. But now that they're older and they've just become these incredible adults, um, I, I wanted to impart a lot of what I learned uh, over those years from them and with them and teaching them and them teaching me into these movies. And they all worked on it with me. That's why it's called a double R production because we all have RRs, our initials, all of my kids. So they're, this is our family company and we wanted to make a a family movie for other families from a family. So that was a big a big selling point too, is that they, they all helped me keep it very much in the wheelhouse of that of that that age group. Well you definitely have achieved that. One thing that you do so well, Robert, and you always have done well, is the diversity that you bring. And not just race and ethnicity, but you've got gender and as we saw with Spy Kids when you had Ricardo Montalban in a wheelchair here you do that again here and you show the abilities through wheels and i have to say andy walken is an amazing talent all of these kids that you cast are just off the charts but you this is so inclusive robert it's spectacular well thank you i appreciate that i was so excited because you know you have an opportunity to speak to different audiences when you have inclusion and representation like in my spy kid movies but that was only two kids yeah and here i had 11 kids or you know originally i had 16 kids and i just thought that was going to be impossible so i had to cut down the number to 11 but it was just something that was going to um, what was my big pitch to netflix is like look i love inclusivity and that's just part of the DNA of my movies. And what's cool about this story is it's just organically, it's diverse because the adult superhero team is conceivably, you know, there's superheroes from all over the world. The best of the best are on mm-hmm. this team. So it's already going to organically be very diverse for their worldwide audience. And the kids will then be so as well. And I wanted, I knew I had a, more of a chance for any kid to be able to watch this and identify with at least one of the characters. Um, and feel like they were heroes too and, and see that and imaging is so important I just heard it over the years so many times from families and kids that are now grown how much it meant to them to see themselves represented in Spy Kids and in my other movies that, that it really changed their life about what was possible um, that's really strong so I wanted to keep that you know going especially in this in this age and in this movie just to be inclusive as, 
with people around me and that's just that was just my worldview and I just thought entertainment needed to reflect that and now the industry is really caught up and is trying to make strides towards that but that's just been my mission personally for 30 years in this business and of course the relationship you have between Missy and Marcus what daughter doesn't want to see a great daddy-daughter relationship like that? That, that, I mean, that's just one of the most fabulous aspects here. My daughter inspired so many of the characters, at least four of them. She's always making faces, so she's a face maker. She sings all <laughs> the time, so she's a cappella. She draws constantly on her iPad. She's so good. She drew all the drawings there in the movie for me on set oh. real time because we had to have them uh, on the day because we didn't know where the kids were going to be standing and what environment and so she had to be there ready and her nickname since she was little is missy and that's really based on her and my relationship we cooked together she often would see me get in this rhythm where i would put crack the eggs into the bowl egg goes in the trash I mean, egg goes in the bowl shell goes in the trash <laughs> one two three four and then sure enough i would get mixed up at one point and the shell would go into the bowl and the egg would go into the trash can <laughs> let's ride out of our life together and she was just uh gestures that she does empowered kind of gestures the actress modeled after my daughter because i just told her it was important to me it was just like i wanted a, a record of how our relationship was and uh that's what marcus that's what uh, pedro was kind of channeling and, and uh, missy uh yeah yeah because um i just wanted to see a relationship like that in the movie because i was experiencing it real time we have that relationship and it's and it's just so fun and empowering and, and it inspires parents to partner together you know really be partners mm -hmm. and not just parent or be parented but be Well, you definitely warmed my heart with that relationship. I, I just fell in, I fell in love with it. But looking at the technical aspect of the film, in addition to the surprises that you give us with the story, all these twists that you don't see coming, you blew my mind with your ending. But from a, the visual execution that you have is so stunning. And then you layer that in with some impeccable sound design. And... Your musical cues, your needle drops blended with the scoring is perfection. The new remix that you have of Bowie's, you know, Heroes song, stupendous. How, what were your thoughts on melding the music here so it's as vibrant and telling as the story itself? You almost have like an MGM musical quality. The songs fit so well. Oh, thank you. I, I grew up on those movies. My mom used to take us to those revival theaters. We grew up on the musicals. A lot of my movies have musical numbers. I'm a composer. I write music myself usually early and before the movie's even done so the kids can actually be training to doing their training sequence to the actual music. This time I collaborated with my son, who was only 20, and uh, he'd been playing piano since he was five, and I wanted to mentor him, teach him orchestration, because he'd written some music for me before, but not with orchestra. So we started the score really early, and he wrote at such a level I could not keep up with. I was not, he was more skilled than I was. So just talking about the kids being the next generation. <laughs> That's why the credit for the music is Rebel Rodriguez and not Robert and Rebel Rodriguez. Because <laughs> he kicked my ass. And it's, it was so complicated. I thought I would get a more kid-like score out of him. And the joke was he wrote something so so sophisticated that it elevated the whole movie. And um, that was a new recording we did of Heroes with uh, the lady who plays Mrs. Vox. She sings it. My daughter sang back up. 
and we uh, structured it. I, I, I roughed it out musically to, to fit the action scene. And then that actress, uh, Haley Reinhardt, she's a terrific singer. My daughter and I paint together all the time when we watercolor, and that was one of the artists we were always listening to. So we thought, hey, let's hire her for Mrs. Vox. That way she can do the voice for acapella, and she can make some music for us. And she got the idea to send me that acapella version of Heroes for that ending sequence that's just the voices of the daughter and, and the mother singing. Mm-hmm. And I, I crafted that whole scene around the music. So I had the music first. And then it just inspired me to have that whole big moment where she walks out on the tightrope with the creatures around her. And it just turns into an MGM musical sequence. You know, it's just so incredible. It comes from the music first. Oh. And that's what I like about having my composer, who's my son, on set with me. Because he was writing music as we are filming and it allows you to to have the music drive the story. The kids in the movie just loved having their theme music already on set um, to inspire their movements and their and how their characters were going to sound. So, yeah, all the things you pointed out, very intentional, but I'm glad it worked because I didn't know if it would work or not. You're like one of the first people I've talked to who's seen it that pointed that out. Oh. So I'm glad it was a success because we gave it a lot of work, a lot of thought, and it takes all that coordination which is why I, I like to do so many jobs myself because you can see it through from beginning mm-hmm. to end and start really early. And having my kids be a part of it just made it a mentoring lesson for them and for me, but also I think it enhanced the quality of the movie by oh, far. Robert, all your- thank you so much. And I want my sequel. I want a sequel. Okay, I'll, I'll tell them. I want one too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Robert. I wonder if you filming next year. Yeah, thank you. And that was our exclusive. And, of course, talking very fast because they were kind of hustling us along uh, during the press day. So very always love talking to Robert, and it has been a long time before we had a chance. And, of course, with this new crop of heroes that we have coming in, all these up-and-coming young actors, they're all fabulous. Um, we still have some some of the old-timers on board. We've got Boyd Holbrook. We've got Christian Slater, Pedro Pascal, Chris McDonald. Uh, Adriana Barraza is fabulous, uh, playing the character of Missy, Yaya Goslin's character, playing her grandmother, her abuela. Uh, but be on the lookout for all these new kids. And just to give you an idea of Robert's fertile imagination, uh, some of the uh, our new heroes are Noodles, Wheels, Oho, Acapella, acapella Slow Mo, Facemaker, Rewind, Fast Forward, Wild Card, and of course Guppy. Uh, and speaking of Guppy, let's take a listen to one of the the cutest talents I've ever had the pleasure to interview. Uh, Vivian Lyra Blair and Yaya Goslin talking about their roles in. We can be heroes. Hi. Who do I have here? Do I have Vivian and Yaya? Yep. Hello, ladies. Well, this this is a great treat to get to talk to both of you today about this movie because, for me, you're both heroes. This is an incredible movie, and I have to say, Vivian, I really like Guppy and her and her shark frenzy. I I really like Guppy. Let I me, really like Guppy too. 
<laughs> Let me ask both of you, what was the most fun about making We Can Be Heroes? Let's start with you, Yaya. Hi. Um, most fun about making We Can Be Heroes. Um, I think that the the best part of making We Can Be Heroes was that we were doing special effects and CGI and green screen, and none of us had really done that before, and it was something new, and it was just so fun to be able to learn. Um, and also, what was really cool was that um, Texas was which is my home state, and that is where I'm originally from. Um, and so it was just really great to uh, you know, be able to work walls away from my house. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the most fun about making this movie for you, Vivian? Um, probably the people. I met so many good friends on set. But also the stunts were awesome. Did did you do a lot of your own stunts? All of them. I did all of my own stunts. Wow! You're ready to go into the Stuntmen's Association then. Because this is for both of you. There are a lot. There's a lot of stunt work here. There's a lot of running. There's balancing. You're you're hanging in air. Um, there's a. This is actually quite physical. Did Robert make you guys train or anything to get ready for this film? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I was already training because I do Taekwondo. So I didn't need that much of training, but they still had two weeks of extra stunt practice. But everyone else did the training, yeah. And what about for you, Yaya? Oh, yeah. Well, it's so funny is that my mom was or is a black belt in Taekwondo, and I do not know, I I did not know anything martial arts-wise. It was definitely great to get to learn martial arts in Taekwondo because I'd never done anything like that before. So they did do two filming of just martial arts training and it was so fun yeah because you did peppermint with jennifer garner and jennifer always trained so hard but you didn't have to for that movie uh, yep all i had to do was pretend like i was scared <laughs> <laughs> so the big question here since vivian already was training in taekwondo vivian did you teach yaya some things Vivian, my gosh, 
I don't ever want, I don't want to run in, I don't want to run into you on a street somewhere. I'd be afraid. You're good. You know, what was, how much rehearsal did you guys get for this movie? Because there's so many of you and you all have different skills and different powers. Was there, did you get a lot of rehearsal time so that you could learn how to work together and master the movements for the CGI to bring your powers to life? Um, honestly, um, we did have two weeks before, which we all kind of got flawed and learned, you know, each other's powers, and that was really great. But, you know, when it came down to filming, one of the things that we learned was how to be on the fly. And so it was definitely a lot of days, six days a week. So, you know, we definitely had to learn how to not have that much rehearsal time and really make sure to, like, you know, get going. The first few days were um, rehearsal time, and I feel like um, what was the cutest thing was between Robert, Isaiah, and Akira. Um, she couldn't figure out what to do to show that they were rewinding time or forwarding time. Mm-hmm. So one day, Isaiah came up to Robert and said, me and Akira were talking and we found out something that was cool. And it was what they put in the film now. Wow. And so Akira was this, and um, Isaiah was this. And so um, I thought that was so cool that Isaiah and Akira had worked together to find um, their motion, and Robert was like, that is very good. I'm totally going to use that. You know, how fun is that? Because both of you have been in, in films... Vivian, you were in Bird Box. It was very, it's a very dramatic film. Yaya, as I said, Peppermint. You've got FBI Most Wanted, which is a very dramatic show. You know, this is, there's a lot more fun here. Do you, and you have a director like Robert who will let you guys come up with these really cool ideas of, and put them in the film. Do you like working like this with someone like Robert? Robert is one, I think, one of the best directors ever, just because he he lets the kids have a say in things, which I feel like a lot of directors don't. You know, oh, they're kids, you know. But I like that Robert treats us like professional actors. He he likes to hear ideas that we have, and he likes to hear things that we think would be cool. I love that he does that. And what about you, Vivian? Do you like that too? messages in this film there's lots of fun and lots of action and adventure but there's important messages here about working together and friendship and the fact that kids will be taking care of the world because us adults have kind of screwed it up let's face it so it's going to fall on you guys 
to clean up the mess we've made. And all of this is in the script. Were you guys surprised at how many of these themes Robert included in the film? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad because I feel like this film, you know, we didn't know a year and a half ago that there was going to be a huge pandemic. And I feel like now more than ever, this, this film has a special meaning because it's giving kids that things will get better because right now it's not that great and so I feel like it's time to put this movie out in the world because I feel like that really is the message that we can be heroes everybody can be heroes mm-hmm. and, and what about for you Vivian are you surprised by the important things that Robert has in this in this script in this film each have a hero or heroes yes um my hero i will always say is my mom because without my mom i would not be where i am today my hero is my mom too my heroes are my mom and my dad because i would not be here if it weren't for them they got me through all of this and i'm very thankful to them thank you mom and dad Oh, my God. You guys are just too nice. You are too nice. And I love watching the two of you on screen. Because I have to say, Yaya, there's so many scenes. And, you know, you guys are running and running and running. But I all somehow you slip in there and you're very protective. And you look out, as Missy, you look out for Guppy. Um, you'll put your arm around her and like help her along, you know, come on, you know, you know, trying to, to speed her up, but still being protective. And I love watching that with the two of you. Yeah, I'm like her big sister. And Robert actually took the time to tell me, like, I want the relationship with me and Guppy to be special, you know, because I feel like Guppy in the way is a leader too, because of how small and mighty she is. Um, and so I think it's really special that they share that connection with me. And I'm a big sister in real life, so it's really good to kind of be a big sister with a model in the movie, too. Did you, did you look at Yaya as a big sister on set, Vivian? For sure. Yaya and Halloween left us being legos, and we all felt like siblings, all of us on set, and it was... So, do each of you have a favorite moment in the film? A favorite scene or moment? Yes, I do. One of my favorite moments, I have two favorite moments. Um, one of my favorite moments is when we're in the cell and Facemaker makes the Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite moments. Um, and then Facemaker, I remember. Um, when he, um, um, when he said, he'll say some lines, uh, like, uh, he goes, uh, and now she's a toaster. And that line, um, I feel like 
it was so funny and it just made me crack up the whole time and so it was always for them to get the take because um he would be like and now he's a toaster and i would just be like <laughs> i'm surprised i'm surprised that you and there's still a few more minutes of that interview left, which maybe you'll hear at the end of the show today. Or you can listen to the rest of it on BehindTheLensOnline.net later this week. But right now we're going to switch gears uh, about another very, very fun film. And we're going to welcome the wonderful Michael Stasco to the show. Hi, Michael. Hi, how you doing? Fine. Long time no talk to yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a few weeks, I guess. <laughs> so, did Eric decide to join you today or not? Just you? No, I told him I wanted the attention for myself. So okay, well, you know, I mean, that's didn't fair. even give him the invite. Ah, uh, well, that's only fair because, after yeah. all, you are writer, director, editor of Boys vs. Girls, and there you go. This is. This film, it's sweet, it's charming, it's fun. It is nothing at all like the control. <laughs> no, no. Just to just to fill some of your audience and I had a yeah, another film I would about a month ago, um, and that was the, the sci fi artsy film. Um and this is the uh, complete opposite end of the genre. This is just a uh feel good uh, summer camp comedy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I think it's a perfect thing because here we are, you know, nine months into lockdown, lockdown, there's still going to be, you know, more months to come with things shut down. And this, this, you know, might give people some kind of wanderlust and cheer them up a little bit at seeing at remembering what all the fun and frolic is about times like these out in the fresh air at a camp and hijinks on everybody, um, I just think it, yeah. it, it's a perfect time for the film to come out. Sure. I mean, some people think summer camp film come out in the dead of summer, but you're already kind of experiencing that in the summertime. So um, right now we're really like no other time forced to be indoors. Um, so this is, I mean, film is supposed to be escapism 101. So this is a great chance to, to do that with this film. And this is definitely escapism. And right off the bat, I have to mention your cinematographer, Kyle Archibald, and your this film. It not only is the tone light, but the visual tone is light. And we get the green grass and the blue sky and the sun, and it is the best. It's the entire film is like the best possible day you could have outside in the middle of summer. Um, you keep it light and bright and you feel that it buoys you as you watch this and kudos to the two of you in that visual palette design thank you yeah and, and Kyle Archibald did a great job we got uh, pretty lucky as well where we we shot 16 days most of those were outdoors and we only got rain on like half of one afternoon oh, and we wow. were still able to squeeze in the shots um, but I, I would tell this to all indie filmmakers, if you're working on that script that you want to shoot cheap, but to, but to, to look nice, um, the outdoors is just great free production design, right? If you already have it built in that your background is going to be beautiful trees and skies and sun, 
then that's something free. You're kind of getting out there for Mother Nature, and and it's your set. It's these big sets, these mm-hmm. big trees and stuff. So, um, and yeah. wh- where is the location that you shot this? Because it is beautiful. Uh, I mean, the trees, they are big, and they're leafy, and they're green, and, you know, you just want to crawl into the into the film screen, into the movie screen, and lie down on the grass underneath one of the trees. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, we shot it. Um, we rented a, a, a summer camp, Qantas Sunshine Point Camp, which is out near Kingsville. So that's 45 minutes outside of Windsor, Ontario, which is outside of Detroit, Michigan, in Canada here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a bit tough to find a location because we needed to find a summer camp in the middle of the summer. And by default, most summer camps are occupied during that time. Uh-huh. Um, but we were able to find a camp that only ran in June or um, July and August. So basically, we were able to get into the month of June. Mm. You know, what was the impetus for this film? Where did the idea for this come from? After seeing The Control, which is, you know, fascinating and very sci-fi and very you know out there conceptually in some respects you go to this you know this harkens to a a quieter time a gentler time a nicer time um for today's audience um you know in my day growing up it would be it harkens back to the 50s or the 40s um now you know okay 1990 is a much gentler time than what we have now um, so yeah. where did, the, and we've seen so many camp films and you think that maybe they've all, you know, everything's been done. But one thing I have found with these camp, summer camp films is no matter how many of them you see, you always feel good when you watch them and there's always more hijinks to be had. So I'm, I'm curious where the whole idea for this came from, Mike. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the nice thing with the summer camp film is it's it's bringing you back to the nostalgic part of your, your brain. So it's kind of firing on all those cylinders for you. Um, but, yeah, the idea was just it's a back pocket of notes through years of myself being at summer camp and kind of just keeping track of funny things that happen. And like you said, the hijinks and kind of collecting collecting notes, so to speak. And, uh, you know, as a, as a writer, I do... I like doing sci-fi stuff, and I like doing comedy. So I was kind of writing the control and boys versus girls at the same time, and it was kind of nice just to have two completely different projects. So depending on how I felt when I woke up or late at night, if I was in a serious mood or a light mood, I would work on one one script versus the other. Wow, I love that. I do that with movie reviews sometimes. I'll, I'll be working on multiple ones, and it's like, okay, I'm not. I just can't wrap my head around this heavy drama. I've got, I've got to let, let's let's write the movie about the disaster film. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah I totally under, get that. You know, and but you add this this uh, this theme, running theme in here. In addition to the rivalry between the boys and the girls, it all stems from this idea that this camp is going to be shut down unless it can become economically viable, which means no longer can you have one month it's a boys' camp, one month it's a girls' camp. It has to be a co-ed camp. And you really set us up and you set the story up about friendship and working together for a common goal. So you've got great messaging in here. 
as we see this rivalry when they're all thrown together. The rivalry, they separates them, but they soon realize they are stronger together and they have to work together if they want their haven in the future. And I love that, that that's the anchor of this film. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, some people get turned off by the title right away. They hear boys versus girls. And obviously in the marketing, it says, like, you know, two sets of one camp and, and they're ready for just kind of a battle royale kind of thing. And obviously that's a little bit of the narrative drive just to have a plot there. So mm-hmm. we can have hijinks and sue. But yeah, it really is a story about coming together and working out your differences and, you know, spoiler alert, they, 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 by them working together, they are stronger in the end and they, they, uh, perhaps they save the camp, but, uh, watch the film to find out. That absolutely. You know, how did you narrow down your many summers of notes of camp carousing? How did you narrow it down as to what to include in this film? It's, it's compact layers. You know, when you're, when you're making a film, you're, you're fictionalizing a lot of stuff. You're making archetypal characters to kind of represent several people or several experiences. Um, so, yeah, you definitely, there's way more material to work with than what you can, you know, cram in 80 minutes. Um, but you're also trying to do things that work on two levels. One, it's got to work, it's going to work for the nostalgic factor for people who experience certain things at camp and they'll recognize it. But it's also got to play to an audience that, never experienced camp and it's kind of an introduction to it. So um, you kind of narrow it down that way a little bit. as like, what will be neat to see nostalgic wise, but it will still play funny even if you don't realize the nostalgic level to it. Mm-hmm. Now you have, you have a plethora of fun characters here um, of boys and girls. And I have to say one that really stands out played by Jesse Camacho is Ben who during yeah. the school year just gets picked on and picked on and picked on. Um, so in camp, because he's a counselor, um, he immediately, he, he looks for those kids that are getting picked on or, or left off by themselves and gravitates towards them. And at the same time, he can be the loudest and the rowdiest person there. And the one up for fun any time of the day or night but to see the heart that he brings that Jesse brings to Ben in react in how he interacts with the young campers is beautiful beautiful to see well thanks and and that's kind of you know in the 90s before social media summer camp almost was like a positive social media it was a place to live a second life and, and kind of start over and be a different person and have, you know, different positive labels thrown at you. You can reinvent yourself, really. Um, and now, obviously, in social media times, that can lead to some negative things where people are talking to each other and labeling people very quickly online. Um, so I kind of wanted to throw back to, to that element where you, you have kids who are cool or they were a loser or whatever during the regular school year but when they went to camp it was a chance for everyone to to be their own kind of hero and um you know be acceptance of of everyone and everything yeah and and we see that with nia rome as in her portrayal of donna our our goth girl um 
and to watch her unfold, her interactions with everybody. And she's so accepted. That's one of the beautiful things here. Everybody is accepted by everybody else. And that's another reason that this is the perfect time for this film to come out. Um, it is just, there is, everything about this film makes you feel good, Mike. Everything. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's those messages kind of in there, and you, you hope some people pick up on them. But, um, I mean, that's how I felt at camp, and I'm sure everyone had their own different experience there. But the, the nice thing about summer camp is it was like a whole lifetime wrapped up in a couple weeks. So you kind of have those highs and lows, but um, forgiveness comes a lot quicker up there for sure. Now, something that you do that's really interesting is you really, the primary laughs uh, in the film come as the result of the character of Gary, played by Sean Benson, the corporate stooge who's going to be shutting camps down, and who the guy is just off the wall in his own right, this this character of Gary, uh, who wants to give them all sensitivity training. And then, of course, Colin Mockery, who we have seen time and time again as the actual, the, you know, guy running the camp. And he, a flipperty gibbet at times, and he gets very rattled. And it's the senior counselors that are the ones that are grounded, that have the ideas. And it plays so well. And it really embody it, it empowers you know, kids and teens, that they are the smart ones here. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I, I really appreciate you doing that. And, of course, so much of that falls to who you cast in these roles. You know, how challenging was the casting for boys versus girls? Um, I had some good help by... Um... Sarah Kay and Jenny Lewis out of Toronto, two wonderful casting directors up here in Canada. And I had originally approached, I had approached Colin and Kevin McDonald on my own, just as a, you know, these are my top two choices. Might as well ask them worst case scenarios. They say no. And I cry about it by myself kind of thing. Um, but I was lucky enough that they, they both liked the script and they were on board. Um, so from then getting Sarah Kay and Jenny Lewis on board, they really helped me, with the Toronto Canadian casting, um, grabbing all the people that we needed. So, yeah, I, I lucked out with, with the cast. And, you know, you, you narrow it down to a couple people for each role. And But once the film's made and it's done, you look back and you're like, how could anyone else have played that part? Mm -hmm. And, of course, you also need to have a cast that's going to cohese as an ensemble, especially at a summer camp. Oh, and, yeah. And... It, the chemistry amongst the cast really comes across. You get the sense that these people really do like each other. Oh yeah, they we we had um, most of the camp counselors. So like there was the eight co-leads that were all around in their early twenties. They all actually stayed in a cabin um, together uh, instead of staying in a hotel room, and. Um, they lived the camp experience as they were shooting the film. So uh, I, w I mean, I would head home at the end of each night and go back to my house. But uh, I heard stories that they had a, a pretty fun time and they, they bonded quite a bit. <laughs> okay. How, how much of a fun time? Did insurance have to kick in to cover damages? 
<laughs> well, we were, no, we didn't have to go to the insurance. We were insured. Um, but I also kind of did a little bit, I don't want to hear it kind of thing. Um, I mean, everyone was safe. Nothing, nothing bad happened. So we, we walked out alive. <laughs> Whew. Good one. So in other words, the camp will let you come back if you ever want to go back and shoot. I hope so. I'm, I'm good friends with the, uh, the the manager there, Dan. Um, he's been a great support uh, of the film as well. And, um, yeah, it's still there. So if we end up getting a, a sequel greenlit or something, we can hopefully get invited back. Uh, you know, now you're also one of the editors, along with Ted Bazzari. Um, is this beneficial to you in a film like this? to have a co-editor and how d- does this process benefit you as a director are you editing in your head or because this you've got a lot more open space you've got a lot more open ground you've got a lot of moving parts happening here in terms of people and what's happening in the rooms during lunches during presentations at the pool so how is it good bad uh, when you're editing yourself and having that second pair of eyes there yeah, T- Ted's a huge help. He, we've, we've been making films together since um, we actually went to high school together, but through university. Um, so the last 15, 20 years, uh, we've written and um, edited films together. And he, he's nice because he's, he's very honest with, with what the story needs and what the story wants. So he, as, a, you know, as a writer and director, you can kind of get attached to certain scenes or pieces of dialogue that you like. Um, but ultimately, even if something's funny or something works, it doesn't mean that it belongs in the film. So having someone close by you can trust to kind of give the hook to certain scenes is, is just as important for sure. Mm-hmm. You've got great pacing, great pacing here uh, with the film. It keeps going. It doesn't lag. Um, so you keep you you maintain that camp energy throughout the film. Uh, and you also bring this in tight. I think you bring it in at what eighty-one minutes or something. Yeah, it's like that's with credits too. So it technically, it's like seventy-five plus six minutes credits, like eighty-one. Yeah. So I think that kind of helps the pit scene. Is we did. I mean, I cut a lot of fat hopefully during the script writing, but then we trimmed it down even more in the editing. Um, my goal on the onset of writing this film, because I had done a few comedies before, is. Mm. I was like, I wonder if I can do a comedy where it's just pure laughs, joke after joke after joke, that you don't even have that late second act denouement too too long or that soul-searching stuff. Like, skip over all of that. Or, you know, you have it a little bit, but you tighten it. So I think the end result, what I wanted to try out as an experiment, as, as a film experiment anyway, was just, can you do joke after joke after joke, 75 minutes, cut to black kind of thing. So... That's what I put out there, so I'm, I'm hoping the pacing uh, works well for that. I think it works great. And, of course, I would be remiss not to mention your opening titles and your end credits. Your opening titles are just so fun. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, that was... I, I had love a, them. University of Windsor, um, Logan Wood, was a student of mine, and he did that as an internship. Um and I, I saw him as a, as a student. He, he submitted an animated piece for one of my... I work as a film professor as well, so he submitted this animated piece. And I just love the kind of loose 2D style of what he was doing. So 
I approached him because back in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of those like animated opening mm-hmm. uh, sequences that I kind of wanted to play tribute to. Um, so yeah, Logan, hats off to him. He did a great job with it. And then even in your end credits, uh, you know, the way you have, you know, all these pictures streaming down uh, on the sides of the crawl, um, just the whole thing is just so much fun. But something that is really standout, Mike, your music, your score, and then your needle drops. You have some seminal needle drops in there that are going to make people really happy to hear. Yeah, thanks, thanks. The The score was done um, by a local musician to me in Windsor, Mark Kelcott, who, again, I knew in high school and, and reconnected with years later, and he's just his own kind of savant there. Um, and he was, like, I did, I, I work a lot with, um, you know, temp music and, and sound-alike stuff, and uh, uh, Ted and I brought him the, the cut with those moments in there, and we said, well, we want something that sounds kind of like Morris in here. And then, you know, 10 seconds later, he's whipping up something that's like 80% there. Um, so he did a wonderful job. And, and yeah, we ended up securing some pretty nice needle drops. Um, obviously, with the, with the 80s, 90s films, you want to get a few of them in there. But uh, the big one for us was the Pat Benatar, We Belong, um, at the very end of the film. Uh, was totally a dream for me to get that song. And, and again, it's one of those things you ask and you see what the price is going to be. And <laughs> you beg and beg and try to bring the price down. And luckily, it worked out. Yeah, that's all. When it comes to indie film, those licensing rights for well-known songs, and Pat Benatar's We Belong, it's not an obscure song by a big-name artist. This is a major yeah. hit. Uh, yeah. And very recognizable. I was shocked. I'm going, oh, my God. Well, yeah, and, and it's a lot easier to have your, like, I've asked for big songs in previous films. Mm-hmm. And when they come back to you and say, okay, it's going to be $300,000, it's a real quick, okay, can't do that. I mean, like, your your heart breaks a lot, of, a lot easier there because, you know, it's way out of your price range. Um, so to, to get that song within a reasonable range, I mean, obviously, a big thank you to the, the record label for realizing how small of a budget we had and kind of giving us an appropriate price to match that. And you've got a couple others in there, too. And as I'm watching the film and listening, I'm thinking, the whole budget. This is where the budget went. He's outside. <laughs> he saved on production design. The budget went to the music. Yeah, I mean, when you like when you hear those music cues, it drops back down certain nostalgia. So mm-hmm. kind of getting a few of those in there um, were pretty important. So I hope people, when they, when they, when they hear those, uh, it helps to fire those neurons and put them back uh, 30 years. Well, it certainly did mine, and I wasn't in camp in 1990, but... I, I wish I was young enough to have been in camp in 1990. But, <laughs> but you know, I've got to, I want to ask you, Michael, you know, directing a film like The Control, which is nonlinear, very dramatic, uh, versus something that is, it's linear, it's fun, it's light, it's frothy, like boys versus girls. Do you approach your directorial style differently depending on the, the subject of the film? Yeah, I mean, each scene and shot is different. I mean, I remember, I did 10 years of film school, and I remember hearing 
this, what I think is a myth about a director has a certain style or a certain genre that they work in. Um, but even back then, I remember, well, I love sci-fi films and I love comedies. So is it, do I have to just pick one and, and go with that? Or am I supposed to only be strong in one? And I'm not saying I'm strong at either of them, but I like both of them. So why can't I bounce between those two things? But either one that you're doing, you know, you're thinking about what's the subject matter of the shot? What am I trying to get across here? What emotion am I trying to evoke? And what combination of shots can I add together to complete this sentence that's going to have this emotional reaction from the audience? Um, So you still kind of approach it the same way as far as filmmaking grammar. Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously in more dramatic films, you play a lot more with the longer lenses and and then the comedic ones, it's a lot more wide lenses sometimes. But beyond that, you're still trying to, you know, tell the best story. Well, I I like both of these films. Um, and I love the range that it shows us that you have as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. Thank you. Um, it's your mind. It's like split in two. Um with the type of stories that you can that you can tell and can tell well um from from conception to execution to completion just so well done and now where can everybody watch and see boys versus girls that's a great question um well if you the, the our main website is boys the girls movie.ca um and as of today you can get it pre-ordered in USA and Canada on iTunes and Apple TV. All that cool and, stuff. And Google Play. Um, but as of tomorrow is the actual release, so then it'll be across every kind of VOD and DVD platform you can imagine. So pretty much anywhere you can rent or buy movies starting tomorrow. And, of course, the control we can find at the same places, can we not? Yeah, same places. Um, if you're in Canada, it's currently on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's available in a bunch of spots in the U.S. as well. So uh, it, the perfect double feature. If you want to see Michael, uh, the range <laughs> of Michael Stasco's work, you can see Boys oh versus Girls. Don't you stop? <laughs> you I can... couldn't imagine a more bizarre double feature. Well, wow. I just put together your bizarre double feature. It will show people your real range as a filmmaker here, Michael. There is no question. And there you go. You'll and you'll enjoy both of them and for different reasons. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. But boys versus girls, it's just, it's fun and frothy and it will, it's got nostalgic value to it, but it's just something that to make you forget, you know, night 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad timing to forget a little bit. Yeah. Oh, Michael. I can't thank you enough for calling. This has been fun. I get to talk to you twice in a couple weeks' time. This is cool. Um, yeah, I'll have to pick up my, my pace of making films to get I'm back I'm telling on you, it. are you working on another one now? Uh, I had one ready for production this past summer called right. Vampire Zombies from Space, um, which is actually ironically a combination of comedy and sci-fi. But um, obviously with COVID, we couldn't shoot anything. So I'm still hoping... That, uh, well, if and when, when COVID is uh, wrapped up, so to speak, that we get a chance to, to shoot that one as well. 
Because, yeah, because for an indie production with all of the protocols that have to, the health and safety protocols that have to be put into play, that adds so yeah, you, much cost. Yeah, I can't, you can't afford it if you're a budget under a million um, and, and you want to work with the unions as well. So, you know, a, a bigger film like the Mission Impossible stuff, they're shooting that for $200 million, And I've heard like at least $2 million is just to COVID safety mm-hmm. protocol and all the color coding and all that's what they have to do. Um, for an indie film, you, you want to be absolutely just as safe, if not more safe. But the amount of money that you'd have to throw at that is probably more than what your shooting budget is. Yeah. So unfortunately, some of us indie filmmakers have to wait a little bit longer until things are safe to go again. Well, with a film about vampires and zombies in space, um, I will be chomping at the bit waiting for this one. Um, All right. It, 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 this sounds right up my alley. The best of both worlds here. Uh, Michael, I can't thank you enough. This has been a joy, and I can't wait to talk to you again. All right. Thank you so much for, for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, Michael, thank you, and have a wonderful holiday. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was writer, director, editor Michael Stasco talking about boys versus girls and a little bit about his other film that you can find out now, also The Control. So let's just, Pam, I think we should just finish up with the girls so everybody can, can, so we're going to pick up our interview with Yaya and Vivian talking about We Can Be Heroes. uh, And we're going to run that the rest of the way through so you can hear it before our break so you don't have to wait and uh they were just talking about their favorite moments in the film so let's hear let's hear about more laughter from vivian when i heard it in the film so i would have been there with you laughing vivian trust me so and i remember um in the trailer to um when Rewind talking to Yaya, and she goes, Good job, fast forward, excellent work, rewind. And then he just keeps going, excellent work, rewind, excellent work, rewind. <laughs> I just like being able to say it, excellent work, rewind, excellent work. <laughs> that was really cool. Those things, they made me laugh too. So, yeah. you guys make me laugh, you make my heart smile. I love this. I love this movie so much, and I love the two of you in it. I want a sequel. I want to see Missy and Guppy come back. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think will you will your chompers be working even better for a second movie, Vivian? Yep. You know you got to you got to keep those shark chompers really sharp. Funny because I had wiggly teeth on set. Uh oh. And they uh, never came out on set, obviously. This one took two years to come out. <gasps> two years. Um, but, um, yeah, um, but I remember I had wiggly teeth on set. And so when we were filming the Indian hallway, mm-hmm. I had shark teeth. Literally, the teeth were growing in behind my front teeth and so it was so funny that Guppy has shark teeth <laughs> um, and so in England they're like um, there was a shark tooth and I was like 
So then I have a shirt And he was like, that really is just perfect. <laughs> well, ladies, this has been so much fun talking to the two of you. Do you have any special plans for the holidays now? Um, I think all of our biggest holiday plans is to watch Heroes again on Christmas Day. Um, and, you know, sit by the TV and have a nice hot, uh, hot cup of cocoa. Enjoy the fact that we can hopefully... People all around the world are going to see it and have hope. And what about you, Vivian? Great. I want to, of course, open presents because that's, of course, my favorite kind of Christmas. Um, and then watch Wiki the Hills again, probably twice in a row. And then um, just time to take it easy for the rest of the day. And yeah, it's going to be really fun Christmas. So. Well, I can tell both of you on Christmas Day, I'll be thinking of the two of you because I'm going to be watching We Can Be Heroes again, too. Thank you so much. Because I love this movie so much, and you guys. So I'm going to think of the two of you while I watch it on Christmas Day, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. And I hope I get to talk to you again in the future about other films that you do. Goodbye, Bye. happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I hope you get lots of presents, Vivian. <laughs> Goodbye. And that was Yaya Goslin and Vivian Lyra Blair, Missy and Guppy in Netflix's upcoming Robert Rodriguez Extravaganza, We Can Be Heroes. I truly do love this movie, and I will be watching it on Christmas Day. Um, it is just, it is so much fun. It is for the whole family. The themes are fabulous. Um, I do want a sequel. Uh, I need Netflix to greenlight a sequel because we need to see more of these new heroes. Um, so, but that is... All the time we have today, as we always do, we end up going over. And, of course, it's appropriate on the last show of 2020. It has been a joy to be here every week, all through the pandemic, um, kind of entertaining you, hopefully informing you, and uh, shining some spotlights on films. So may you all have a wonderful wonderful holiday we will be back on january 11th blaine weaver is going to join us live uh this this will be blaine's second appearance on the show i think he has a new film so blaine will be joining us live uh, along with some other fun stuff so until then i'm debbie elias this is behind the lens (laughs) 